Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Scarlett Russell, Entertainment Editor for the Sunday Times Style, and this is Secrets of the Side Hustle, your go-to podcast to find out what it really takes to turn your passion into your career. Each episode, we hear from inspiring female founders who give us the lowdown on how they turn their side hustle into a thriving business. From baking for the stars to sex tech, disrupting the fast fashion industry and more. In this show, we get the ins and outs and ups and downs of setting up your own company whilst pocketing nuggets of advice along the way. On this episode of Secrets of the Side Hustle, my guest is Mariam Jamo, founder of Oja, the online supermarket delivering African and Caribbean food direct to your door. Mariam launched the business as a side hustle while working as an investment banker. And in just two years since it launched, Odja has 5,000 daily users browsing the range of 1,500 multicultural products. And while it's only delivering to London at the moment, Mariam does have big plans to expand Odja nationwide. I can't wait to hear all about her exciting and original side hustle. Welcome to the podcast, Mariam. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to hear about your side hustle. So tell me, Odja, what is it? What does it do? Odja is a online supermarket for cultural communities. Our focus is really a one-stop shop for all things cultural and ethnic. And we're starting with one particular culture first. So we're very focused on the African and Caribbean culture right now. Interesting. So you're planning to go into other cultures as the business progresses? Yeah, this is definitely something that may be on the cards later down the line. I think focus is really key. So we want to really understand what a vertically focused consumer commerce model looks like in terms of being focused on one community and benefiting from community effects, virality and so on and so forth that comes with acquiring people from that culture. Mm. And of course, African, I'm Nigerian. So it's always very helpful to start with something that you know. And the website, you can buy groceries, you can buy hair care products. It's all African owned companies, but you can get them anywhere in the UK. It's a mixture. So some products are actually made here by maybe ingredients that are from the continent or from people who are from the continent. It's not necessarily from Africa, but it's definitely products that African people are very focused on in terms of groceries. Yes, in terms of hair care. For us, we're really focused on becoming almost like the Amazon for cultural communities where anything you're looking for will be able to supply to you and with logistics that make sense. What are some of the best-selling products on the website? 
definitely the fresh produce. So plantain is our biggest seller. I know there was a time when on Twitter we were being called the plantain app because everybody knew us for selling plantain and, and hooking on that price of three for one pound, which you can't really find too much now in the market. So yeah, plantain is definitely one of our biggest sellers. A lot of fresh food as well, fresh cuts of meat like oxtail, curry mutton, these sort of things are very popular. And you can get these products if you live anywhere in the UK, not just London? So right now we are focused on London and we're very much about building up growth and a community within London. We hopefully will expand UK wide over the next 12 months, but right now our focus is London. Where do the products themselves come from? Do you have stockists? wholesalers from all over the world yeah it's a number of different relationships with many different suppliers so some are wholesalers some are d2c businesses really cool and upcoming businesses some are bigger fresh produce importers so it just depends really on what the product is we're looking for how many products do you have on the website right now about 1700 i would say do you have a membership or a subscription service to, in order to buy stuff? No, so you can just go online and shop, really. Right? Fill your basket and start shopping. So there isn't any sort of subscription. We're very focused on learning as much as possible from our consumers. So we didn't want to really restrict them. We just give them the option to fill their basket and see how they shop. Do you know how many people do shop on Odja? It varies. And obviously we are a startup, so we're focused on growth. I would say on a day-to-day basis, we maybe have about 60,000 visitors to the website on a daily basis. Sorry, on a monthly basis. On a month. I was going to say, that is impressive. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) (laughs) One day, Marion, one day. (laughs) Where did the name come from, by the way? My heritage is that I'm Nigerian. So my parents are Yoruba, which is a a tribal group within Nigeria. And Oja means market. means it's it's somewhere in Nigeria where you can find anything that you're looking for, essentially. I love that. So it's a real sort of personal connection as well. Yeah, yeah. Mariam graduated from UCL with a degree in biomedical science before starting her career in banking. I asked her how she went from a potential career in STEM to becoming an investment banker to then launching an entirely different business altogether. So I guess for me, I enjoyed the sciences, but... I didn't really have a passion for it and I didn't really find much purpose in it. But I was super interested in how companies operated. So I tried a few things in investment banking to understand how companies merged, how they were acquired, learn a bit more about how they operated. And whilst I was in investment banking, I think for me, that was when I first interacted with the problem that Audra is trying to solve right now because I moved out of home, even though it's not too far from home, but um, I'm still in London. I guess that's testament to it. Even if you are in London, sometimes it is very difficult to find some of the products that you're used to buying, especially conveniently. So I found that I was working these really long hours and I never saw daylight and the only way I could get my groceries was to order them. And when I ordered them, there was this huge subset of products that I just stopped eating and I stopped cooking and it was all to do with my culture. So I found that it was just a question to be asked, like, why is it not easy for me to get these products the way it's easy for me to make an order on a cardo? And that was really where it first started from. And I started to ask the question, yes, to myself, because I wondered, OK, is it just me? Because I'm a foodie. I love to eat. I love to cook. And also when you're a second generation immigrant, I think it's almost the 
it's like the most portable thing you have to your culture when it comes to food and and ingredients like this but the more I spoke to everybody I realized that everybody kept finding themselves in the problem it didn't really matter where they were from if they were French if they were German if they were Nigerian they were kept saying do you know what I really want to find products from my culture as well it's just takes too long or it's too hard or it's too expensive and that was really where Oja was born from is this kind of part frustration on my part but this actual necessity that showed itself amongst a number of people I spoke to. So you had the sort of seed of the idea. So this was 2018. You're working for Rothschild & Co. as an investment banker. What were you doing as an investment banker? What was your main job there? So what I was doing was mergers and acquisitions advisory. So it was very much advising companies on any big mergers or acquisitions that they would do. And I was doing that for logistics, industrials and business services companies. And... I was very junior, so I was doing Excel and PowerPoint. That's really what you do when you're that junior. But it was a good grounding for me in that I learned a lot of analysis. I learned how to build up the bare bones of a company on paper. And that was very helpful when I went out to raise funding. So, yeah, between you having the sort of seeded the idea in 2018 to launching in 2020, what was happening in those two years for you to start getting the business off the ground and start thinking, oh, this could be more than an idea. This could be an actual legitimate business. Yeah, it's a good question. So it took me a long time to, I wouldn't say start, but to get to a point where I put something out to market because I had a number of different businesses. It wasn't just Audra that I was working on. And sometimes it's really hard to be disciplined and focused to push out your idea when you're also working. It wasn't until the problem became near enough, like, unbearable to ignore. It was almost like you couldn't ignore it. And that was really the pandemic that brought that to light. So I had the idea, I was sharing it with people, I did user research, I built up designs, I got a tech agency to build the product. But it wasn't until 2020 when I was like, okay, now I'm going to push and get this out because the pandemic hit and all of a sudden everybody needed groceries delivered and there was nobody delivering these kinds of products. So I then just turned up the volume on everything, started to think about a go-to-market, started to think what data I really needed to go out and understand how to solve this problem. So I did a three-month pilot in 2020 where I got a few customers and I got them to start shopping on the app. We were structured as a marketplace at that point, which means that we were using smaller stores that already existed and sort of being a go-between via the tech to deliver to people. So I learned to drive in that time as well. So there's a bunch of different things I learned so I could just try and get my business off the ground. And then with that, the results of that three-month pilot that we ran, I went out to raise money for a different structured business in that we now own supply. So we have a warehouse versus a marketplace yeah the rest is history so you're saying we who was it with you at the time doing all of this I always say we because Oja is a we effort. I have a team of 15 people who are <laughs> who are backing me right now and uh, really believe in the vision and building every single day. But at the time, it was just me, my ops manager, who is now my ops manager, but at the time, like we were just kind of hustling together to try and figure this out. And then, of course, my tech lead who manages all of the engineering side of what we do. And you mentioned it as an app. At the moment, it's predominantly a website. You're working on the app. But did you pilot it as an app originally? Exactly, which was probably the wrong decision in hindsight because it takes a lot of effort to build an app. Whereas a website can be quite easily iterated on. You can go to li- you can go live quite quickly. You can even just 
do a Shopify plugin and you could test your idea in that way. But at the time, I didn't know that. So if I had to go back, maybe I would have done it slightly differently. But yes, I built two apps, an Android and an iOS app, and I went live for a pilot with those two. So I worked with a technology agency to push it out. And how did you come to find a technology agency that you knew, I guess, that you could trust and were going to understand your idea and like not overquote you and that kind of thing? You learn these things as you go because I didn't know, to be honest. That's the honest truth. And I think it's it's always good to speak to people who have done things before because they can always give you ideas as to the best way or the quickest way to validate your idea. I think whenever you want to build a business or put something out there, you should validate it in the quickest and the cheapest way possible. Whereas I just thought, let me just build some apps and that will help me validate my idea. But there might have even been a better way to do that via, for example, web. So I just got advice from a couple of people as to how they'd gone about building their initial first product and then thought, yeah, okay, I'm going to do it this way, but I'm going to do two apps and I'm going to, you know, really give it my all. And now we are about to go live after about a year with apps. But initially in the first year, you know, web was more than enough for us to prove out our concept. So let's talk a bit about investment. At the beginning was the seed money your own money. Yeah, I bootstrapped. You bootstrapped. Um, I'm guessing you were in a comfortable position as an investment banker. You know, I used my savings. I had other businesses that I was also using. It was almost like I was using one business to fund the other. Mm. Um, So it was a bit of a hustle. But yeah, we got there in the end. I think it's good to just have another form of income if you can even if you are side hustling or want to take the jump and build your business fully just having something that maybe doesn't take as much time but that you can maneuver on the side is always very helpful but presumably in your job as an investment banker you would have had a good grasp on money and how it works which i'm guessing is a real advantage when you start going out to investors I think so. I think investors, they believe what you tell them. So if you tell them that you are an investment banker and you can read a balance sheet or you can build an income statement, all these things, then they believe you and they will expect that. But if you also go into the room and say, you know, I haven't done the finance thing before, but this is how I think my business works. And you have a small Excel spreadsheet that doesn't have all the right headings, but it shows how your business works. That would also be okay. Who were the first investors? How did you get that first investment? I've been given some advice that when you want to raise money, you need to talk about raising money all the time. Like say that you're raising investment all the time. No, it could be any conversation. Just be like, oh, this is my business. And oh, we're currently raising because you never really know what could come of it. When we were running our pilot, I just put out a quick LinkedIn post and I just said you know I've been quiet because I've been building this and we're currently raising our pre-seed round so if anybody wants to help or get involved then just message me and then this random person just messaged me who was a VC and he just said to me I really like what you're building should we have a chat and this was my first proper call I didn't know what to do so I just like yeah sure fine (laughs) we jumped on a video call because everything was video then and I told him what we were working on in the marketplace model and he said why don't you just own everything and I said well it doesn't make sense because there's all these complications and this is the cheapest way and then I thought on it for a long time and I realized that there were a lot of problems on the supply side for what we were building which means on the supply side of the marketplace and then decided that maybe owning the supply did really make sense so we made this change and I also got Forbes 30 and the 30 I then went back to him and I said look we're thinking about making these changes but I'd love to speak to 
you know someone who you might know or if you know anyone who could help me along with this and he was like great so I'm going to give you a check and he, he was going to invest just based on <laughs> me going back and kind of telling him what we had learned over the last couple of months what our progress had been and what we wanted to do next that was enough for him to say he was going to put a check in and now you know we speak like every few days we're very good friends I would say and that's simply because he just reached out because he liked what we were we were working on he said what he really liked about me was that I was super determined to build this thing, but I was also willing to change my mind as I was going, which means I was learning as I was going. I wasn't stuck to like one thing, I was stuck to solving the problem. And that was one of the things that got us our first investor. And he, of course, is a VC and he knows many other VCs and he knows many other angel investors and been integral in our journey so far. Marion had done extensive research, had a successful pilot and even secured investment. With this in mind, I asked her if Oja was an instant success when it launched. Definitely not. Uh. <laughs> I went live with the apps and I just thought all of a sudden I was going to get 50 orders a day. And obviously it doesn't, doesn't work that way. Distribution is very important. And as much as you can build products, you need to understand your market or your community well enough and how to capture them or how to find where they are so you can put your product in their eyeline and people underestimate that part of business they think well i've got the app or i've got the you know product or whatever it is so now they should come but it doesn't really work that way you should really think about how you will distribute your product and where your user persona your main user persona is and just getting in their eyeline and continuously putting your product in front of them and then they should shop if you've got the right product market fit and presumably within that is publicity and getting the word out there how did you do that yeah for sure to be honest it was very much a case of speaking about what I was doing to a number of different people. And I would say the fundraise helped as well. So having raised money from great investors and having great people backing us, um, that helped us get picked up in things like press and publicity a bit more. But we never really had a press strategy, so to speak. It kind of came quite organically. I think also being a female founder helps. I think being a black female founder helps as well. Well, it helps in the sense that there aren't many people who have raised money in VC who have my profile being sort of a black female founder. Even a female founder, we know historically that less than 1% of VC goes to black founders and black women founders. And a small percentage of that also goes to women founders. So that also helps push the story or make it a little bit more exciting than just everybody else who always raise raising for things they've always raised for before so yeah where were you finding the little bits of publicity and press who was picking up on it a number of different places really there was some of the food orientated magazines or publications foodism and courier and stuff like this they were picking it up and then we also had when we released the fundraise, we had like TechCrunch cover what we were doing. And of course, we had Forbes and all these other kind of mm. publications as well. So it's a mixture of different things for sure. How were you juggling? Because you mentioned earlier you're doing a number of different businesses. You're clearly you've got a strong entrepreneurial streak. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about the juggling because it sounds like you're in a really demanding job. You said you barely saw daylight, yeah. yet you're launching several businesses. Like how? How are you doing this? So I started my first business when I was in university, in my penultimate year of university. I started a women's network mm. for the professional and personal development of black women. And we work with all the top firms, including Rothschild, Goldman, Clifford Chance, all of the big law firms, big banks, consulting firms. That was my first side hustle. That was my first business. And I just kept that going whilst I was working. I had to get 
another team in place to keep it running because I didn't have time to do it myself. I'd gone into working with a business, if that makes sense. Then I had worked on a couple of projects. I did some consulting work with some startups. I also had worked with a, a couple of projects with people who wanted to set up similar kinds of businesses. So I was kind of used to just having many things to do. But it got to a point where I realised that I was very, very passionate about Audra and I felt like it really tied in with my purpose and I saw a really great opportunity to make a difference for a lot of people. So that was really why I then said, okay, now I need to take a complete step away from everything else and be 100% focused on Audra. That was like mid-2020, as leading up to going live with a pilot. Yeah. Were you nervous about leaving this cushy job and going off on your own? Not really, no. no. I feel like you reach a point where you need to do things that just serve you, like they make sense for you and what you have planned for yourself and where you see yourself in the future. And I think corporate jobs are great and I think they're a great grounding for training and so on and so forth. And But it just wasn't necessarily for me is what I had found. How's that been for you? How have you found it? It's been great, but it comes with its own challenges, right? Where you're this person who juggles loads of businesses and has loads of hands and different pies to being very focused on this one pie that you really want to do well. And then you have this team of people that you actually care about and they've come to join your mission and they really believe in what we're building. And you just want to keep delivering for everybody involved, including your investors. That is a very big jump to go from varied focus to a lot of focus in one place it can sometimes take over your whole life <laughs> it's no longer a side at all it's almost like your life is a bit of a side but it's also exciting and I feel like it's it's worth trying you know seeing how it goes you're listening to secrets of the side hustle with Scarlett Russell there'll be more secrets coming up just after this Welcome back to Secrets of the Side Hustle with Scarlett Russell. Let's jump back into where we left off. How did you and how do you go about sourcing the food and the products? It's a bit of a crazy one, really, because the infrastructure for this business doesn't exist in the same way it does for 
just getting, you know, bananas and grapes and things like this. It's a bit of a nascent or untouched market. So we've had to be very innovative in trying to find a uniform way to get supply. So that includes things like just building up individual relationships with people, sometimes advising people to grow their business alongside you or even offering them a new business model that they didn't even have in the first place. This is sort of how we've built up our suppliers. And we also speak to our customers and ask them, you know, what they want to see and then we'll go and find it as much as we can. But like differentiating yourselves from like the Tesco's, the Ocado's, within those big conglomerate supermarkets they have like ethnic food departments right but they're not they're tiny and they don't do what you do and that's where you spotted your gap in the market but if I was a supplier and you approached me potentially would I make more money off going to someone like Tesco who's bigger what would be the attraction for me as a supplier to go to you rather than a big business like that it's a good question and I think that there are two sides to this market so there is supply and there is demand and the problem with the supermarkets is that have had a little bit of supply they'll dot a bits here and there they'll group everyone into one aisle the world food aisle but then you find that a lot of ethnicities just won't shop there they would rather just go to the ethnic store even though it's harder they would rather go there and get the full selection of what they want get their fresh produce as well which the supermarkets ignore so even if Tesco went to one of our suppliers and said we'll take everything they would take it once and probably not take it again because they need to focus on acquiring these customers and this is where this sort of vertically focused consumer model comes into play that when you're speaking directly to a group of people they're more likely to shop from you and you're more likely to have their loyalty so for us our NPS right now is above 90% what's NPS? our net promoter score so that's how likely someone is to almost recommend you as a customer and usually in grocery it's minus because people aren't loyal to grocery you'll go to Tesco for one product but you would also go to Sainsbury's Mm. and you'd also go to Aldi maybe you'd go to all of them and it doesn't really matter anymore but people have extreme loyalty to a brand like ours because we're speaking directly to them and we always serve them the products that they can't find anywhere else and this is why we have great retention as well we have people spending more with us every single time they shop it's simply because they want to be spoken directly to and it's hard to do that when you're trying to serve everybody so that's the reason why our suppliers work very closely with us because they know we have a direct line to the consumers that they actually serve. Have you been finding challenges with the supplies in the last year or so because we're hearing the pandemic hangover and then more recently the recession and Russia everything is and Brexit Mm. everything is affecting supply everywhere and the cost of everything is going up so how does that then affect your business? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we're exempt. I wish we were, but I think it's it's there, there were some supply chain issues, especially with everything that was going on macroeconomically and geopolitically. But now we've managed to find a, a middle ground where we can still keep our prices competitive in comparison to anyone else on the market, but also have stock of product. So there was a time when it was difficult. It was almost a case of having to wait it out a little bit because we would have people come and shop like businesses were shopping from our website. So we had access to some of these produce because we had demand planned in that way. And then smaller businesses or other competitors would come on our website and shop our products with buy like 20 of them. <laughs> so it was obvious they were buying for their business just to have stock. So we had to adjust some of the, these are some of the firefightings that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> because do you deliver that is almost the question because they paid for it. And do you have you know a responsibility to whoever it is to deliver that? We had to adjust for sure. You seem 
so adept at juggling loads of things at the same time. It yeah. sounds like that's just, you're someone who likes to be busy and that's yeah. how you operate. Do you have any advice for listeners who are kind of, because I think that's, everyone's so busy, everyone's so busy all the time. How do you manage everything? It's a good question. I don't know if I'm managing it well, to be honest. <laughs> I ask myself that every morning. I think focus is key. So there are times when you do need to focus and you should block your day out in a way that you know what you're supposed to be focusing on any given time. So I know this morning, on Thursday mornings, it's easier for me to get anything like this podcast or and later on I have a documentary that I'm filming I know that Thursday mornings are good for that I know on Wednesdays I don't want any meetings because that's the day when I need to do work so I block my diary out to try and ensure that even if it might change or things move around I know what I'm supposed to be doing at any given point of a week or a month it does mean sometimes that things spill over I pretty much work every day but like you said I enjoy it so it's right. It has been a real pleasure getting to know our female founder on this week's Secrets of the Side Hustle. But I want to go just that little bit further and find out something about them or their business that isn't common knowledge. It's time for Best Kept Secret. On Wednesdays, I don't interact with anybody else. I work pretty much alone and I deep work on the whole of a Wednesday. And sometimes that deep work means I might go for a manicure, but it means I need to be almost 100% alone on, on Wednesdays. And I kind of block that time out for myself because I think as a CEO, everybody wants your time. Every single person wants your time in your company. Everybody outside your company wants your time. So it's really hard to sometimes get that alone time that you need to actually do work or get a manicure. So for me, I'm very much focused on deep work Wednesdays and that's what I do. So. I love that. So no calls, no emails, you're off grid. Pretty much, yeah. And you're just working. Exactly. And, unless there's like an emergency type exactly. situation. Exactly. Do you think that's something that you would recommend other people to do? Yeah, I think as a founder, you need to take the time to focus on yourself because you are steering the ship and if you aren't focused then who knows where the ship is going and I think everyone else is working to get the ship moving but you are steering it so you need to be as focused as possible and that means sometimes you do need to take a day to focus on yourself. It's almost time to say goodbye to our female founder this week but before we do, let's have one more moment of inspiration with our Quote for Quote, where we share uplifting quotes with the hope to motivate you to pursue what you're passionate about. My quote for you is from the Oscar-winning actress Renee Zellweger. This is all about imposter syndrome, so I really like this. I feel like everyone to a degree has a bit of imposter syndrome. And she says, sometimes I wake up at night and go, oh damn, here we go again. What were they thinking? They gave me this role. Don't they know I'm faking it? Can you relate to a bit of imposter syndrome? Hundred <laughs> percent. I know. I know exactly what that feels like. I think, especially coming into these new industries, like you said, I've gone from sciences to investment banking to tech. But I also realised that everybody is winging it, and you just need to do it with confidence and enthusiasm, and you'll get where you need to get to. My motto that I live by is definitely progress, not perfection. I believe in making steps towards something versus kind of just getting there. And often if you measure things versus progress, rather than if it's just done, you learn a lot more along the way. And then you also feel better about it because sometimes things just don't get done. That's just the reality of it. So yeah, that's definitely one of my mottos and it's what I live by even in my business. It's about how have you made progress from yesterday versus have you just got it done? 
you talked before about sort of being you're obviously so proud of your heritage and talking about being a black woman in business what advice would you give to anyone who's listening who's a woman of color going into a business it's not always the easiest Mm -hmm. most accepting you know we've had guests talking about not having the most accepting welcoming spaces what have you learned and what would you say i would say that it's not something that can be ignored and because of that you almost have to ignore it that's the reality of it I know when I walk into a room that nobody's going to be confused that I'm a black woman I know I'm a black woman but I think it's then the and then what and what you do after that it will be sometimes more difficult it will be harder for you to achieve some of the things with this unconscious bias but at the same time do you want to achieve it or not so how are you going to get that done and I think that that should be the focus more so than the fact that you are a black woman in these spaces because it's not going to change It's always great to think about what your purpose is. And what I like to do is I just go through my journey since I was in university or even before. And I try to find a unique thread between everything I've done, even though it's so different. There is one thread, which is that it's about increasing accessibility to things, especially for people who look like me. So that's always a great place to start is does this thing tie into my overall purpose or the journey towards my purpose? And I think that that makes it something that you don't give up on and something that you're always excited to do every morning. What is the future for growing the business? What are your plans over the next few years? We're really excited to expand the range, get more customers, try and tie in a lot of cultural elements to the business. So getting really cool brand ambassadors. I think what's great about African and Caribbean culture is that you know, it's very integral in personalities in sports or personalities in music and just finding that intersection between, you know, culture and commerce. That's really what we're very focused on. So there should be some exciting partnerships being launched and being announced um, hopefully in the next 12 months. So that's really our focus about growing the business. And then also thinking about how we become that one stop shop for everything that these cultures might be looking for. And you mentioned earlier going nationwide rather than just in London. Yeah, of course, and go and, and spreading in terms of expanding as well. We want to go UK-wide, but we also get messages from people in Germany saying, can you send stuff to us? Or people in France, or sometimes in America as well, where you know you can kind of find these things, but there isn't one unified brand really tackling this. And we think that this is an exciting market to be in. Fantastic. If you want to find out more about Odja and buy some of the amazing products, it's www.odjaoja.app. Thank you so much, Mario, for coming on. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. You've been listening to Secrets of the Side Hustle with Scarlett Russell and our fantastic female founder this week, Marion Jumeau. The series producer is Anya Pierce. If you enjoyed what you heard, why not follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode? And you can listen back to all our previous episodes on the Free Times Radio app or download them from wherever else you get your podcasts. I'll be back with more Secrets of the Side Hustle next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.